Okay. If you have Bibles with you, please open up. Let's see. Oops. Let's see. If you have Bibles with you, please open up to Matthew chapter 12. Aren't the kids cute? I love watching them dance around during worship. I'm thinking, man, I wish I could do that. I love their freedom. They're so uninhibited. Somehow we grow up in that, that sense of being free to express ourselves publicly. gets, I don't know, it gets buried inside or gets hidden away. And I'm thinking, I don't know. I think the father would like it if we danced like they danced. Lord, I ask that right now. That you make us be like children. Children who can enter the kingdom. Children who are uninhibited to be fully expressive in your presence. Lord, I pray that you make us less proper, less stuffy. Amen? Nobody said amen. (laughs) You guys aren't too excited about that idea. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Matthew 12. We've been taking a closer look at mercy. Um, I've talked about the change of spiritual seasons, the shift that I believe has happened, not just to our church, but to the church as a whole. A shift from what Arthur Burke refers to as a ruler season to a mercy season. And that that insight has kind of been my springboard for a, a whole new series of messages on mercy. We've looked at the seven redemptive gifts of the Spirit in Romans chapter 12, uh, specifically the seventh gift mentioned, which is mercy. We looked at the fifth beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And I shared some of my personal testimony that Sunday on how God had been merciful to me. We looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Last week we took a look at Jesus' statement in Matthew 9 where he says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice. And we gleaned some insight from it. We looked at different translations of the text. We looked at the context of the story. We made some personal application. We learned that the prophet Hosea, that it was the prophet Hosea that Jesus quoted to the mumbling and complaining Pharisees when he said, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. We saw that Jesus had great mercy on the tax collector Matthew and all of his sinner friends, but that the only group of people in the New Testament that didn't seem to benefit from this mercy were the religious professionals, those who valued their ministries over people and their rituals over relationship. The scribes and Pharisees who were hanging around Matthew's house that day were saying that their religious laws were more valuable than the people Jesus was having dinner with in Matthew's house. Jesus said no. (laughs) Jesus emphatically communicated that he valued people over their rules and regulations, over any religious system. In that text we learn that Jesus said that he desires, Jesus desires mercy. And that means that he delights in and takes pleasure in mercy and not sacrifice. I postulated that it could be in a mercy season that we'll see these differences, where sacrifice was institutional, 
mercy will be relational. Where in the ruler season, sacrifices were all about rituals, and the mercy season will be all about relationships. Where sacrifice valued rules and regulations, mercy values freedom. Where sacrifice was controlling, <laughs> mercy was compassionate. Where under the ruler season <laughs> and under a system of sacrifices, there was this strict literal adherence to rules and ceremonial law. <laughs> but mercy expresses compassion for the lost and seeks to rescue them. Where mercy was representative of the old covenant, excuse me, where sacrifice is representative of the old covenant, mercy represents the new. Both in his words and actions, Jesus communicated these very truths in Matthew chapter 9. So today what I want to do is I want to, I want to use Jesus' second use of this very same phrase, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I want to look at it from Matthew chapter 12 as a springboard to look closer at the prophet Hosea. So, um, just for the sake of context, let's take a look at Matthew 12. I'll read the beginning of verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through <coughs> grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pick some of the heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look! Your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. They're breaking rules again. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priest on the Sabbath, that the priest on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going off from that place, he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, <laughs> It's just so ridiculous, the whole story. Oh, my goodness. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Imagine you got somebody in your midst who actually has the power to physically heal the sick, and you're going to give him a hard way because he's doing it on what's supposed to be a day off. He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored. Just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Oh, God. Lord, have mercy on us. I pray, Lord, that you would speak your truth to our hearts from your word, and that it would change us. Amen? Oh, man. Could you imagine how hard-hearted, how blind, how foolish... That they would give Jesus a hard time about healing a sick... They even set it up, right? Jesus hadn't healed the guy yet. They just saw there was a guy there that needed healing. And so they confront Jesus about this. I was like, oh, are you kidding me? But boy, not only did they take this seriously, after Jesus heals him, you'd think like revival would break out. 
After Jesus heals him, what is the response of a Pharisee? Let's how, how do we kill this guy? How do we kill somebody for doing good because he broke one of our rules? Oh my goodness. I love Jesus. Three times in Scripture, God is recorded as saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In Hosea chapter 6, and then the two times that Jesus is quote, quoting Hosea 6.6, 6, <laughs> In Matthew 9.13 and Matthew 12.7. Twice, Jesus challenges our understanding of what the prophet Hosea said. He says, go and learn what this means. Don't you know if Jesus says to you, go and learn what this means, you probably don't know what this means. Right? If you knew what it meant, he wouldn't be telling you, go and learn what this means. And the second time he says, if you had known what these words mean. He challenges their understanding twice. And so here, in Matthew 12, Jesus is having a similar conflict with the Pharisees that he had in Matthew 9. This time, the issue isn't that he's eating with sinners in Matthew's house, but that he's working on the Sabbath, eating heads of grain, and healing the sick. Twice, in confrontation with the Pharisees, Jesus quotes the prophet Hosea. Both times saying that he desired mercy, not sacrifice. That relationships trumped religious rituals and regulations. Why Hosea? Why did Jesus quote the prophet Hosea? I think if we want to have a, a better understanding of mercy, it would help us this morning to take a look at Hosea's life. God's ways, listen to me, man, God's ways are not our ways. We have ways that seem right to us, his ways are vastly superior to us. Matter of fact, the scripture says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, that's how much higher are his ways than our ways. He has ways that seem like foolishness to us. It seemed like foolishness in the old covenant. It seemed like foolishness in the new covenant. And sometimes his ways seem like foolishness to us today. His ways are not our ways. So, I mean, God could do whatever he wants to do. So any, why did you wear maroon today? And why did that color get highlighted to me? And if God wanted to encourage people with maroon, could he have just spoken to you himself? He could have. Right? But for whatever reason, this morning he decided to speak to my heart about people who had the color maroon on and to encourage you that springtime's coming, even though it doesn't look like that in your life. His ways are not our ways. God's ways are not always. In the past, I've, I've taught a series of messages called God's Unusual Ways. And I just go through some major Bible characters and looked at the strange and out-of-the-box things that God did in their lives. And I don't know, maybe somewhere down the line I'll get to share that series of messages here. But I'll tell you what, <laughs> Hosea, he, he wasn't in that series. He definitely could have been fit right in with the rest of these guys. He could have been added to that list of God's unusual ways. Could it be that in a mercy season, we'll see prophets more like Hosea? Who is this prophet that Jesus himself quotes twice? For I desire mercy. This is what Hosea 6.6 6 says. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And the word knowledge there... The root word for the word knowledge there is the Hebrew word yada. 
And yada means a close, intimate, personal, experiential knowing. The word hada is a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse. That's, that's the term that's used. It's that level of closeness, that level of intimate knowing. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. And this intimate knowing, this intimate knowledge of God. More than birth offerings. So the book of Hosea, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it opens up this way. Let me just introduce the prophet here. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go and take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness. Because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Goma, daughter of Diblium. And she conceived and bore him a son. You know, some prophetic people, some prophets, they give prophetic words. Other prophets, they have to live out prophetic lives. Hosea's life was a prophetic message of mercy over sacrifice. Hosea's name means help or salvation or deliverance. According to Strong's Concordance, it's the family name of Joshua, son of Nun. It's the same root word where we get the names Joshua or Jesus. And he's the son of Beri, meaning my well or belonging to a fountain. So Hosea's full name actually means help from the well or salvation. From the mountain. Now God himself speaks to this biblically recognized prophet and tells him, take an adulterous wife and marry Goma. So he does. Now the New International Version says an adulterous wife. The King James Version, a little less polite, says a wife of whoredom. <laughs> New American Standard, Amplified Bible says, a wife of harlotry, a little bit nicer than who them, right? The message just goes right out and says, find a whore and marry her. <laughs> I tell you what, some of the commentators I've read on this text, they really want to tidy it up, you know? They would like it to be a whole lot more polite than what's actually happening. But I, I got to tell you, honestly, I don't see how they could do it. <laughs> right? God's ways are not our ways. And in Hosea's case... God's ways were very, very messy. Can you see that sometimes when God does the things he does, he messes up our world. He messed up Hosea's world. And certainly Jesus' activities, scribes and Pharisees are not happy with him. He's hanging out with Matthew and eating dinner with all his tax collector friends, and now he's messing up their rules and regulations. They are so upset with him that at the end of the text they read in Matthew 12, they're plotting to kill him. He really messed with their stuff. You know, religious people can get really upset and want to kill you when you mess up their stuff. It happens. I know. <laughs> it's happened to me. So in Hosea's case, God's ways are very, very messy. Love and mercy often are very, very messy. The people who need the most amount of mercy are the people who are the messiest. The people who need love the most are usually very messy people. God doesn't have a problem with messing. We have a problem with messing. 
Hosea's marriage is a picture of God's great mercy and his extravagant love for Israel and his great love and mercy for us. With all his heart, Hosea loved his unfaithful wife, Goma. Even though she wasn't just unfaithful, once she was repeatedly unfaithful to him. The book of Hosea reveals that Goma had many, many lovers. Eventually leaving Hosea, leaving the children, and entering into a life of prostitution. Now, according to the law, according to the rules and regulations of the day, according to the law that Moses got from God, Hosea could have had Gomer stoned to death and been justified in doing it. Except here's a problem. The same God who gave the law to Moses spoke to Hosea and said, you go marry Gomer. You go do it. You know, sometimes when we obey God, it'll mess up our life. When we obey God, it gets really, really messy. Sometimes our life is less messy, listen to me, less messy if we disobey. Because then we have more control. Do you think Hosea's life would have been less messy if he had, if he had said no to this? God, I'm not going to do that. I'm a prophet of Israel. i got a reputation to keep. All these people know me. They're never going to listen to another word I say. Because you told me to go marry a prostitute. What's up with that? I think God's less concerned about our reputations than we are. Now, according to the Mosaic law, Hosea could have brought her before the elders and had her stoned to death for her unfaithfulness. But there's just one problem. He still loved her. He loved her. The law, the law said to kill her. The Lord said to marry, love, and continually forgive her. Do you see it? Mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy says, love her. Sacrifice says, stone her to death. Right? Mercy <laughs> over sacrifice. Chapter 2 tells us in Hosea that even in the midst of Gomer's unfaithfulness, Hosea cared and provided for her. Listen to this excerpt from uh, commentator David Guzik's study guide on Hosea 2. If you want to read more David Guzik stuff, go to blueletterbible.com. He's got a ton of commentary resources there. Listen to this one excerpt I found. He says, when Hosea provided for Gomer, she spent it on her adulterous lovers. It's as if Hosea went to the house of Gomer's lover, where she lived, apart from her husband, in adultery, and he knew that this scoundrel of a man couldn't provide for Gomer, that she lived in poverty and in rags. Hosea knocks at the door. He spoke to the man who answered. He says, are you the man living with Gomer? And the man wondered what business it was of, home, of Hosea's. And then he revealed, I'm Hosea, her husband. I brought these groceries and money so she could be provided for. When Hosea left, Gomer and her lover must have thought he was a fool. What a great dinner they had together with the food Hosea brought. But this is how the Lord loves us, lavishly blessing us, even when we're worshiping idols, 
and providing us with blessings that we waste on other gods. This is the prophet that Jesus quotes. It's this prophet. This is the one he quotes to the Pharisees. This is the message of mercy over sacrifice. Gomer's done nothing to qualify herself for mercy. You know what? <laughs> the very nature of mercy is you're unqualified for it. Gomer's done nothing to deserve Hosea's love. Like we've done nothing to deserve God's love. And yet, he extends mercy to us. And yet, he loves us. The word says with a great love that he's poured out upon us lavishly. God's ways are not our ways. This is the message of mercy over sacrifice. But there's even more. The book of Hosea tells us that as time passed, Gomer would lose her beauty. You know it's easier to be a prostitute if you're good looking? If you're an old, ugly hoe, it's not so easy to get work. Right? Just wanted to see if you guys are still awake paying attention. Apparently you are. So, as a result, she's reduced to slavery, right? Her life is just getting continually worse. What happens? Hosea buys her back. He purchased her out of her slavery and forgave her. And she became his wife again. Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 in the message. Then God ordered me. God orders Hosea. He says, start all over. Love your wife again. Your wife who's in bed with her latest boyfriend, your cheating wife. Love her the way I, God, love the Israelite people. Even as they flirt and party with every God that takes their fancy. Wow. That's from the message. This is Hosea's response. I did it. I did it. I paid good money to get her back. It cost me the price of a slave. Then I told her, from now on, you're living with me. People, God's ways are not our ways. His love for us is beyond our comprehension. You might be sitting here today thinking, I'm not worthy. How could he ever forgive me? How could he ever take me back? And I tell you this does, that he loves you that much, that his mercy extended to you is that great, that his love is that unconditional. The Pharisees and teachers of the law are concerned about Jesus' dinner companions and his Sabbath activities, and Jesus' response to them is, have you considered the prophet Hosea? Hello? You think this is bad? Have you considered Hosea and Goma? I tell you what, I long to see prophets of mercy and love. I long to see spiritual fathers who love their sons and their daughters. I long to see shepherds who do not 
slaughter the sheep. Maybe in a mercy season. Maybe. I say this. No more prophets of doom and gloom. No more prophets of doom and gloom. I know bad news. I don't need God to tell me bad news. All I have to do is look in the mirror. If the Christian life is all about my vision and my discipline and my good works and my holiness and all the good things I can do, my character, I don't need a Savior. I don't need a God. I'd be my own Savior. I'll just work harder. But if the Christian life is about my brokenness and my failures and my sin and my utter, absolute powerlessness, I need a Savior. I need someone who will love me when I'm at my worst, who will rescue me from the deepest pit. I need someone who says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's the kind of God I need. In the darkest days, in my most hurting place, in my most lonely place, I need a God who will love me like Hosea loved Goma. With a ridiculous love. With an unconditional love. With an indescribable love. With an irrational love. With an illogical love. That's, that's what I need. So I long for the day where we're done away with the prophets of doom and gloom. I remember a friend of mine, Larry Randolph, really well-known prophetic minister, tells this story on himself. Uh, he'd go around, he'd tell people their phone number, he'd tell them their address, he'd tell them their sins. Wouldn't you like to be in that public meeting? <laughs> <laughs> and God says to him, Larry, why don't you tell them something they don't know? Right? They know their address. They know their phone number. They know their sins. What they don't know is this. They don't know that I love them. They don't know that I have a plan for their life. They don't know that I have a destiny for them. They don't know how faithful I am to them. You know the word of God says that he's faithful even when we're faithless. We can't shake him if we want to. I heard an old teacher, prophetic teacher once years ago. He said, you know that verse where he says he promises to never leave us or forsake us? He said, sometimes in my life I saw that as a promise. He said, sometimes I saw it as a threat. <laughs> he will always be there. He'll, oh, excuse me, he'll always be there. So no more prophets of doom and gloom. No more prophets who harshly judge the people of God. No more pastors or prophets who manipulate and control people with shame and guilt and fear. No more. I long to see prophets like Hosea who love limitlessly and sacrificially. I long to see pastors and prophets who care more for God's people than they do for their ministries or their reputations. Any pastor in town, if God told him to go marry Goma, he'd be out of work probably the next day. It would, it would create catastrophe in a local church. His reputation would be shot. And yet, Hosea is in the book, man. His, name, his story, his name, made it into the book. Wow. God's ways are not our ways. I long for the day where love is not only our highest aim, but it's our only aim. Lord, let this be that day. 
Lord, let this be that place. Let us be just such a people. So, Lord, I confess today that your concept of love and mercy is beyond my comprehension. It's bigger, it's more expansive, it's deeper, it's more extravagant than I've ever possibly imagined. And I want it so bad. So I pray for myself today, Lord. I pray for my friends gathered here at Community Church. Would you reveal yourself to us? Would you take the scales from our eyes and the dullness from our minds and the calluses from our heart? We could see you as you really are. Lord, I invite you to come and blow up my God box again. And show us who you are. Reveal your nature and your character. And not just that, Lord. I pray you make us like you. That you would make of us in this place, this community, a people who love the way you love. Lord, I pray that, that we would, as a community, go and learn what this means, that you desire, that you have a passionate desire for mercy and not sacrifice. Do it, Lord. Do it in our midst. Come and do God-sized things in our midst. Come and do the things that only you can do. We can't do this. We can't get from where we are to that place unless you take us there. Do that for us, O God. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.